What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A lot can happen in 3 years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday. And at the time of recording this, happy International Women's Day. We're really excited to release today's episode with Dr. Jana Vrangalova. Uh, Dr. Jana is a New York City-based researcher, speaker, writer, and consultant with a PhD in developmental psychology from Cornell University. She studied there how different aspects of sexuality are linked to health and well-being. So that's right up our alley. Um, she also teaches currently at uh, New York University several human sexuality courses. Again, right up our alley. Uh, Dr. Jana has a lifelong interest in non-traditional lifestyles, and it led her to create the Open Smarter course, which guides people to their ideal relationship type using science-based assessments of their unique personality. We had a great time talking with Dr. Jana, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. We'll see you on the other side. Jeremy and I, happy listening. Hi, uh, welcome everybody, and um, really excited to introduce you our guest, uh, Dr. Jana, and um, with a beautiful last name that I've just learned how to pronounce. I'm going to take a stab at it, Dr. Jana Vrangelova. Um, I think if you say it fast enough, it just rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, and Dr. Jana is a uh, New York City-based uh, educator on sex and sexuality, speaker, writer, consultant, and we are really excited to have you here. So welcome. 
Thank you. So good to be here. Right before we, right before you joined the call, um, Amro was telling us that you have a great uh, origin story, and that was kind of one of my first questions. Anyway, it's one of the things we like to ask our guests. That was definitely the first thing that I had in my mind when you said sex researcher, speaker, writer, and consultant. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that just sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, <laughs> that your job is all those things, and it's all related to sex. How do you how do you end up where you are? How do you how do what what uh, no? How do you start? Yes, Not I mean, right. how do you start? But first, before we get to that, uh, you're a doctor. What are you a doctor of? <laughs> That's a lot of questions all in one. <laughs> <laughs> and if excited. you could answer that in five uh, words or less, that'd be great. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I'm a doctor of developmental psychology. I have a PhD in that from Cornell, which is where I got to after doing my undergrad and living in Macedonia, which is a small, tiny little country in Southeast Europe that uh, used to be part of Yugoslavia when I was born and then became its own independent country. And I was born and raised there. It was a fairly traditional kind of culture, even though not religious, because Yugoslavia was a socialist country, and so it was an officially an atheist country. So religion didn't play a role. However, it was still a fairly traditional, patriarchal kind of society that was fairly sex negative, that allowed for a very small number of sexual desires and expressions to be Mm. considered acceptable and normal. And anything that fit outside of that box was considered problematic. Mm. And that's probably my origin story. I had a lot of those desires and interests and curiosities that didn't quite fit the norm of, you know, heterosexual, long-term, vanilla, monogamous kind of relating mm-hmm. that didn't leave room for any of the more you know kinky and non-heterosexual and non-monogamous and uh, other kind of more exciting ways to be sexual and have relationships and so i was always so captivated by on one hand, why do some of us have these desires and interests much more than other people do? And then the people who do have desires and interests that don't fit inside that box, how do we navigate Mm. our desires? How do we go about life trying to have at least some pleasure and satisfaction in the way that is authentic to us and yet still maintain our physical health, our mental health, our social connectedness and health and yeah, navigate that, that duality. I I mean, considering that you came from a a culture that seems to be, seems to approach sexuality from like a a rather taboo sort of stance. Did you, did you, did you get a lot of pushback for your, like your curiosity in that sense with, with, you know, friends, family, your, your social circles? Yes. You name it. I got pushback from literally everyone that I met including the people who were doing some of those things with me. And so I really experienced a lot of that social stigma, the slut shaming that affects women much more than it affects men. And those double sexual standards were very much alive and well as I was growing up. So a lot of those things that might have been kind of allowed, even if not maybe encouraged, but certainly tolerated for men that were not really tolerated for me as a woman. And so I did have to deal with a lot of that. And that 
was a big part of the reason I decided to try and study this and understand this and find ways, find advice that is scientifically supported that we can offer to other people who were more like me or more on my end of the spectrum. Mm. So when did you realize that you were in a box? Do you know what I mean? Like when you're growing up and you're like, well, this is just the way the world is. Like, when did you realize that that was something you could actually get out of? The good question. I don't know that there was one particular moment. I think it's a more of a gradual process of understanding that, oh, there are these rules that you're supposed to abide by. And then I was trying to abide by those rules to some extent. And then sometimes I would do better, better as in manage to stick to the rules, but then I would feel inauthentic. Like, why did I do that? That's not what I wanted to do. And then other times my impulses would and desires would give in to the temptation. And then I would realize, oh, there's going to be external punishments that come as a result of that. But internally, that's what felt good. That's what felt authentic. And so I think through having many of these different kinds of experiences with different people in different settings, I started to realize that there is this very little tiny box and anything outside of it seems to not be acceptable. And yet it didn't seem like I was doing anything wrong by wanting these things. And yeah, so I kind of slowly started rejecting it more and more intentionally and consciously and choosing to act in the ways that made sense to me mm. and would, and decided to deal with whatever consequences came my way. Would you, it, at, at a, as a young person, I wouldn't have had the language like authenticity to use to explain how I feel, how I felt or didn't feel. Is Was that a part of how you grew up? Was that a part of your vocabulary or language to even understand when you didn't feel authentic? I definitely did not have that particular word available to me. That's something that I learned about after I came to the U.S. and started doing my my PhD and all of the studies. But there was something that I felt, this is not me. It, It doesn't feel right for me. It doesn't feel true to me. So I did have those kinds of sentiments that just felt this is not quite who I am. I understand that society wants me to be that. And I see other people doing that and being that. It just didn't feel like that was me. Because these desires and curiosities and interests were just so strong in me that I couldn't ignore them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happens with a lot of people who are more, if you think of this as a spectrum and me being on one far on one end of the spectrum, the far end of the high level of the spectrum, Most people are somewhere in the middle. Most people are not as high as I am or I've been. And so for those people who are more in the middle, it might be easier to suppress, might be easier to ignore some of those uh, desires and fit the box a bit more or or stay in that box a bit more comfortably than it is for those of us who are all the way on the other end. And so maybe that was part of the reason that it, it was a stark contrast for me. In in terms of um, uh, like sort of the history of the work that you've done, um, when you when you do make that leap and decide, all right, I'm gonna like I'm gonna study developmental psychology. I'm gonna focus on sexuality, um, and you know when you start getting into the research of things, which I, I find the research of sexuality to be 
just endlessly fascinating. I mean, a past guest that we've had on the show a couple of times, uh, Justin Lay Miller, who works out of uh, the Kinsey Institute. Like, my favorite thing is just to shoot the shit with him and just talk about like where his where his how his brain works in terms of what he's curious about in terms of uh, you know sinking his teeth into in in, in that research sense. So I'm curious about um, what what was the do you recall what the first research piece was that that you really wanted to kind of dive headfirst into when you decided to to go down this route? Yes, when I started doing my BA in psychology back in Macedonia, I started to get interested in research more. And my first project was on non-heterosexuality because that was one of the things that I was experiencing around that time. I was becoming part of the fledgling gay, lesbian, bisexual kind of organizations and world in Macedonia that was for the first time being able to be a little bit more public uh, because none of that existed during socialism, during Yugoslavia times. And as I was exploring also my own bisexuality and you know, being with women, that was super interesting personally to me. So those were some of the first projects that I did during my undergrad. And then I ended up writing an honors thesis, an undergrad honors thesis on that topic, on the coming out process of gay, lesbian, and bi folks in Macedonia, which then I turned into a book that is now being taught at uh, some of the universities in Macedonia. And that was probably my first idea of what I was going to study when I came to my PhD. That's what I applied to do work on was non-heterosexuality. And I was especially interested in that middle ground, the bisexuality, the yeah. not exclusively gay or exclusively straight. And that's part of what I ended up studying at Cornell. But then once I got there, I also realized I have this other huge curiosity that revolved more around non-monogamy, casual sex, promiscuity more broadly. Mm. And so I had these two lines of research during my PhD, one that was uh, around bisexuality and mostly heterosexuality. And then the other one that was more about casual sex, promiscuity, and non-monogamy. How, how long have you been, uh, how long has it been since you, since you graduated with your, your degree in, in psychology? I got, oh my God. <laughs> I got my PhD. I started in 06. And so I think I got my PhD in 2020. 12 or 2013. Okay. Now, since then, yes. has there been much of a shift in the, the way that sex is viewed and approached in Macedonia? Honestly, I have not had a lot of contact with, uh, with what's going on in Macedonia. I kind of escaped. That was... I had to escape. It was just too repressive mm. for me. I actually think it's gotten a little bit more regressive, if that was even possible. Right. Because one interesting thing that happened with that whole region is after Yugoslavia broke into all of these different pieces, this one country broke into, I think, seven different countries. And a lot of that was fueled by religious differences, mm. which didn't really exist or had existed, but were under the carpet, swept under the carpet during the atheist years. And because religion all of a sudden became an important factor for a lot of folks in 
in Macedonia and many of the other countries of Yugoslavia, like Bosnia and Kosovo and Serbia and Croatia, Slovenia, it feels like it became almost, they, they went almost backwards in terms of yeah. s- the social liberal aspects. Uh, all of a sudden, things like abortion, which were always legal in the country, started to become maybe discussed uh, to, to make it illegal. Casual sex became this like really immoral thing to do that nobody wants to talk about. So it, yeah, it's been an interesting development Mm. you're not you don't hear too many you don't hear that a lot like with the conversations that we're having so that's a really interesting but yet you you kind of do though like i mean we we do it this isn't this isn't that i i I just want to push back on that a little bit because i mean you know it was only in the last like fucking 12 months that we were hearing stuff coming out of places like texas where you know like like abortion rights and abortion laws are Mm -hmm. just astoundingly backwards where it just like, it really is kind of shocking to see these things, like you said, regress in this, in this like really surprising way. So it it was when you said that you would actually released a book that was being taught in Macedonia. I was like the savior from Macedonia. She's right here. (laughs) She did it. But, but I I see that that's not quite the case. Um, I I think of it, I think of it as a pendulum. Yes. Things swing back and forth and it's a, regular historical process that happens uh, over and over again. And I think now after that religious kind of regression, if you will, or more conservative regression, now things are starting to move more toward the more liberal direction again, to some extent. So it's a, it's a constant back and forth. The stock market. Yeah. It's there's, there's ups (laughs) and downs. It goes up, corrects itself, comes down. Um, uh, One thing that I, I, I hopefully, hopefully the overall trend is up. Yes, yes. Fingers crossed. Moving, Toes and right. fingers crossed. Um, uh, Jana, I one of the things that I, I really would love to talk to you about is um, the project you started back in 2014, the Casual Sex Project. Um, casual, I think, you know, Brady and I both, uh, casual, casual, casual sex is like sort of one of the, um, the, the foundations of how this podcast started. Um, and I know that, uh, just by quickly kind of perusing the, the website, which is casualsexproject.com, which I highly suggest people go check out. Um, there seems to be a lot of really fascinating, uh, quote unquote, real sex stories and, and just really quickly rifling off a few of these stories by, by title. Um, you know, you've got things like spring break virgin, um, church aborted. I really want to read that I really one. like this one. Whoops, it's probably fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sexy butt. <laughs> um, my roommate. I, I mean, there's lots. Um, can you give us a little bit of background into uh, what the Casual Sex Project is all about and, and uh, where, where, that, where the impetus for that kind of began? Sure. So that was created right after I had graduated and gotten all of the studies on casual sex and well-being into the academic literature. And I realized that there is so little information out there about casual sex that's not based on college students. Almost all of the research that we had was all around college students. Everyone was talking about hookup culture and colleges. And 
I was like, there is more than just college hookups that is going on. And I wanted to create a space where people could share these uh, stories, regardless of where they were in terms of their age and race and sexual orientation, part of the world. And yeah, so I kind of created that website as a to serve as a repository of hopefully true stories of uh, hookups of various kinds. And over the years that it was active, we collected over 4,000, I think, or so stories from wow. people from literally all over the world. <clears throat> it's no longer active. We put it kind of we we put it in uh, in hibernation for a few years, and uh, so there are no new stories being posted. Although I don't know, I might reactivate it again. A lot of people are curious and asking about it, so we might uh, bring it back to life. Yeah, it's especially really... with COVID times, I feel like it would be really interesting to see how those how those stories shift totally and, and change. Um, it's also just like a really nice. The website itself is just like really is, easy yeah. on the eyes, and yeah. you know we peruse a lot of. Um, a lot of resources online, whether they're like audio tales or stuff to mm-hmm. read, but you rarely see things in such a, in such an uh, aesthetically pleasing um, format. Also, oh, glad you enjoyed. <laughs> I had a question about the project as well. I was wondering when we talked to Justin Laymiller, he was saying that predominantly the fantasy that's most common is threesomes. And I was wondering in real sex scenarios and all the submissions, the 4,000 submissions you got, did you see, were there any trends in what was like really hot to people? Yeah, we had a couple of attempts to analyze some of uh, those data and we never fully crunched them together. So that's one of my big regrets maybe in life for not having done that. But threesomes definitely featured quite prominently. There was a lot of threesome experiences that were being shared. Yeah. And the point of it was to showcase the diversity of what casual sex can look like, because I think there was a very simplistic, very singular narrative that was being portrayed around casual sex and what those encounters can be in very black and white almost. Either it was the greatest thing ever or it was the most horrible thing that you shouldn't do. And so my idea with that was, let's see all of the variability that happens in how these experiences play out and the different factors that might affect that. And the way the submission, the story submission was structured was so that very similar to how you would do a study on hookups where people were asked to not just write out a story of what happened, but answer specific questions about that Mm. story, who about their demographic um, characteristics, about their partner's demographics, how they met, what type of story it was, what uh, what happened, how they experienced it, mm. what the evaluation of the experience was, were condoms used, was con- how was consent negotiated. So there's a lot of lot of pieces of information there. Yeah, that's cool. That would give everyone sort of a similar structure to work with. That would give exactly all of this a really nice cohesiveness too. Is it too late to do the, the coral all the you know all the sciencey things with a fit? No, no, it's not too late. It just uh, requires some time and dedication to that. And I've since been much more focused on creating resources and and, um, content that is geared toward non-monogamy more broadly, Mm -hmm. which casual sex is an inherent part of a lot of, I mean, obviously a 
a, a life that includes casual sex on any regular basis is a non-monogamous lifestyle, whether the person is single or partnered, whether mm. that casual sex is part of right uh, more of a couple life or a single life. And of course, not all non-monogamy is casual sex, but uh, it's a big part of it. So I've been, yes, focused more on this somewhat bigger umbrella that includes casual sex, but includes other forms of relating as well. Yeah, let's. I think this is a good segue to to talk about um, the Open Smarter course. Um, I, I take it this is the this is one of the things that you've been kind of focusing on more recently. Um, can you walk us through what Open Smarter is is all about? Sure, Open Smarter is an online course that I put together uh, that I created about a year ago. Exactly, actually, a year ago uh, it launched and. <clears throat> It's a, an online course that people can take on their own time that consists of a bunch of videos that they, they can watch, a bunch of personality quizzes that people can take, and then a bunch of exercises and techniques that they can do, all with the goal of navigating their journey around monogamy and non-monogamy in a way that's safer and more pleasurable, more ethical, and you know, in a way healthier for everyone involved than what people might end up doing on their own without resources, without guidance. Because these are questions, monogamy, non-monogamy, are questions that are so critical to how we run our love life, our sex mm -hmm. and love life. And yet it's something that is very rarely discussed. It's very rarely discussed as an option or there being options that people can choose from. That's one of those things that we get one way that can be the tiny little box in which we have to all fit the strict lifelong monogamy ideal that we all have. And then nobody really gives us, encourages us to think outside the box and explore some of the other options that uh, exist. And then nobody really teaches us any of the skills that we need to do and explore these different options, including the monogamous option, in a way that is healthy, safe, pleasurable, and ethical. Mm. In fact, nobody gives us the skills to do even monogamy correctly. And so mm. even the people who are following the script and for whom it that particular version of, of relationship might be a good fit, at least for some portion of their relationship, even they don't get the right kind of education and support in how to do that well. Because you can fuck up any of these relationship types, yeah, yeah. including yeah, monogamy, non-monogamy, and all the different types of monogamy and non-monogamy, and you can do them well. And so the course is meant to help people first find what might be the right relationship style for them at this point in their lives, given their unique personality given their partners, if they have a partner, their unique personality, and their, their unique set of circumstances and relationship dynamics that they have. And then once they have an idea of where they're going to go, then give them the skills, the tools they need to get there or you know, go on that journey with grace and kindness and empathy and all the different things that yeah. we need to have. Sounds so empowering. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, and I think you raise a good point. Like, you know, one of the things that we learned pretty early on in starting this this podcast, like five years ago, um, is that you know we, we had we there's we have had more people write in about um, how on earth do I go about opening up my relationship or how on earth do I navigate non monogamy than than we've had people write in about anything else. Like it's it is. By mm, far and away, the number one thing that people have written in about, and um, well, our dog literally just almost crushed himself with a tire. jar. What is wrong with you? Just, just relax, relax, buddy. Um, uh, so my point there was, uh, we've had people write in about opening their relationship up more than anything else, and even after this five-year period, it 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 really does kind of surprise me that the options that are out there for people to find resources when it comes to that really still seem quite slim. I mean, like when we first began, like one of the things that we would, we would encourage people to check out is, um, you know, like more than two or the ethical slut, um, you know, these books that, that seem to be like the, the Bible when it comes to these sorts of things, but that's really it. Like we, we, there's, there really doesn't seem to be a vast, um, option for resources out there. So it's really nice to see that someone like yourself is putting the work in to offer more of those resources. Um, I'm, I'm curious about, I know that, I know that you've done work with, uh, with Ashley Madison, correct? You, you were in, was it like research-based stuff that you were involved with, with them? So I recently started uh, working with Ashley Madison on collecting some data because they have a pretty kind of active and robust surveying system of their own members that they do on a regular basis. They survey their members on a bunch of different questions and topics. And then we also um, worked together to collect data on the general population. So uh, they commissioned a study run by or 
conducted by YouGov, which is an independent agency that uh, claims to have representative samples of Americans or uh, other countries of uh, adults that can speak to these broader trends of what's going on in the world. And so we've been collaborating on interpret how to interpret some of these data that uh, we've collected, what they mean, and kind of sharing with the public what we've learned. Do, does, it, does it cause any sort of like dissonance within you to, to be like, okay, I teach ethical non-monogamy and here I am, you know, analyzing data that comes from people that it seems like they're interested in non-monogamy, but like I can't reach them. You know, you're just on the other side of the data, so you can't necessarily affect change with with and like for them does it does it feel uh, what what does that feel like I can only imagine like a lot of frustration sometimes about that <laughs> because you mean because I can't reach those people individually yeah and be like or... hey there's another way and like here <laughs> you here can do it ethically tools. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh I see I see what you mean well what I am primarily interested in is monogamy and non-monogamy. The ethical, consensual, whatever, that is all part of Mm non-monogamy, right? And the, it's very clear to me that a big portion of the human population is not by nature monogamous exclusively, strictly, completely in that lifelong sort of way, monogamous, and that we need other alternatives. Unfortunately, we haven't offered people an alternative that doesn't involve lying and cheating for most of our history, especially for the more recent history. And by recent, thinking about the evolutionary history, you know, the 12,000 years of post-agricultural societies that, uh, we all carry that collective legacy of those 12,000 years, they've all been pretty much expecting monogamy, especially from women. Men have often gotten some leeway of either being allowed to marry multiple wives in many Mm -hmm. cultures and societies, or even if they were uh, limited to one wife, they could have concubines and mistresses. And so they were allowed to be non-monogamous in some way, shape, or form, whereas that was really not uh, an option for women. And so people have always found ways to get, you know, lean into their non-monogamous needs and desires in some way, shape, or form. And when there is no other option, but the more non-consensual one, that's what a lot of people will go for. Mm. And so to me, it's quite clear that we are, have not dealt with this question sufficiently and well enough, and there need to be more options. And it's interesting to see some of the uh, some of the data coming from Ashley Madison, finding that actually a lot of their users are not, or at least claim to not be in uh, supposedly monogamous relationships, but they are in some form of an open relationship, whether that's uh, don't ask, don't tell, or more disclosed version of not monogamy. But there are a lot of people on there who are in uh, some version of consensual not monogamy, but they are looking for a bit more discretion and privacy in how they go about their non-monogamy than some mm-hmm. other people. So there are, because there are other 
websites, there are other apps that cater more to the people who are very openly non-monogamous and openly right. in the sense that they don't mind having their faces and public profiles kind of out there, but not many of us don't have that luxury and need a bit more discretion and privacy as they mm. go about. That's a really good point. So in a way, it's kind of a dating app. Mm. Yeah, it certainly is a dating app. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, I, yeah, right. I guess I just didn't really think about it. That I mean, about the privacy and the discretion of it. Truly, I mean, what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I get yeah. it now. But I'm just making those two two pieces. Yeah. Come yeah. The way I see Ashley Madison is it's a dating app for people who are partnered for the most part right. and who want discretion in that process. Why they want that discretion differs. Some want mm -hmm. the discretion because their partners are not aware of that. Some want the discretion because they don't want other people to be aware of that and so on. But yeah, whereas some of the other apps might cater more to the people who don't need that level of discretion. Yeah. Something you said um, sort of sparked a, a curiosity in me and, and I'm, I'm really, I'm not entirely sure how to ask this question, but I'll, I'll try, I'll try my best. I, I've, I've never really thought about how uh, historically when it comes to, um, you know, relationship standards um, in terms of monogamy and non-monogamy that typically it's the, the male has like sort of lived with this notion that uh, it is, it is more quote unquote okay for him to be um, seeing more than one, one person with, you know, like, like you had mentioned um, men marrying more than one woman or having concubines, et cetera. And I, so that is, that's making me wonder about how that, how that historical um, fact plays a role in how non-monogamy is being approached today. Um, so, so in terms of like, like for, very, very much from a very like binary sense of, of males, uh, you know, diving into non-monogamy versus females exploring non-monogamy and and i guess what the out of the out of the work that you've done uh whether or not you've you've researched this directly like what your thoughts are on how non-monogamy is approached and how it differs from females to males with that historical context kind of behind it oh that is such a big question we could <laughs> stay here a long time unpack all of that there are a lot of there's a lot of baggage that we all carry, especially from those 12,000 years of patriarchal um, kind of civilization that uh, most of us grew up in or with and developed. And there are these great gender inequalities in terms of what has been traditionally available to women versus men. There has been so much repression of female sexuality throughout those ages that does not seem to be in line with what our biological, if you will, urges and tendencies are. Now we are adaptable. And so when you put us in very restrictive environments and you say, you can't think about sex because that's bad and you're gonna be stoned to death if you do, then we'll adapt and be like, okay, if that's what I have to work with, I guess I'll work with that. Mm -hmm. But when we are given 
the luxury in some way, the social privilege of wanting the things that we want and being true to ourselves, then you see a lot of women really leaning into it. And we're seeing that for the first time in our modern world on any kind of mass scale, because now we have a world that is much more egalitarian than anything that we had seen in those previous 12,000 years where women have independent access to resources that don't depend on men for their own survival, for their children's survival. They have political power. They have access to sexual reproductive health services. So we've now been able to decouple sex from reproduction in a way that has never been possible uh, before. And that Mm, frees us mm -hmm. up in, in many different ways. So But at the same time, we carry a lot of that baggage. We carry so much of that social stigma around these kinds of desires. We still carry those stereotypes that women are so much less sexual or so much less less Mm. non-monogamous, so much less interested in things like casual sex and uh, whatever kinkiness and exploratory kinds of things that the data doesn't quite really support. I mean, yes, there are gender differences and that is a pretty robust finding, but they're not nearly as large as people think they are. Right. And then when you also compare gender differences in sexuality and things like, for example, casual sex between countries that are very gender egalitarian, countries like Iceland or um, the Netherlands or Denmark or something like that, and you compare countries that are very gender non-egalitarian, like Saudi Arabia or Pakistan or something like that, you see that the gender difference in how much men, for example, want casual sex than women is much larger in these gender non-egalitarian countries Hmm. than when you look at what's going on in the gender egalitarian countries. There's still a gender difference there. Mm -hmm. Still men say they want casual sex more so than women, but the difference is so much smaller Mm -hmm. than it is in these other countries. And that really shows you how much societal factors play a role in muting and dampening those natural desires and tendencies that that we would have. Yeah. And I suppose that like that also just, just helps bolster, you know, the, the like things like slut shaming um and and stuff mm-hmm. like that like that yeah wow i it, i've never like this has never really crossed <laughs> the historical a- component has never really mm. kind of crossed my mind before and it's it i'm i'm finding it quite fascinating i yeah uh, very often we don't think of this larger broader sure. longer perspective mm-hmm. we're so tied to our own little bubbles mm-hmm. that we are in right now but yeah this has huge implications and then you know you So I think what now is we're coming to a very interesting time in our societal development in Western cultures where we are approaching gender equality. We're not there yet, obviously, but we're approaching it more than ever before. And that includes women wanting to have the sexual and relational freedom that men have always enjoyed to some extent. Mm -hmm. So now we're like, well, yeah, we want some of that too. (laughs) And So now it's very interesting to see how men are dealing with that reality because men have never traditionally been faced with the reality of with having to accept their wives and girlfriends and especially long-term partners being with other people, especially being with other men. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas women, because they had to deal with their husbands and um, well, I don't know how much how, how many boyfriends there were in those 12,000 years, but certainly husbands having these multiple partners, whether legally or unofficially. And so it's an interesting kind of um, asymmetry mm. in how the two genders are going to deal with this newfound freedom that we all have. Yeah, we're, we're all just freaking out over here, us guys. We don't know what to do. <laughs> we, uh, I, well, I noticed on, to that point, I noticed on your Instagram, one of the questions that maybe was submitted to you is something about like, about having an MMF uh, threesome. So for anyone who doesn't know what that stands for, it's male, male, female. So if I wanted to have a threesome with my male partner and another male, that a stepping stone to that may be introducing a male, female, female threesome. Mm. And a part of me when I read that was like, I shouldn't have to hold any, like as soon as I have to hold someone's hand through a process, <laughs> I feel like I become a mother or like nurturing yeah. person. Um, but I was really intrigued by your perspective and I'd love to share it. I'd love to hear it <laughs> with the listeners. Sure. Yeah. I think it's acknowledging this asymmetry in our collective experience as women with male partners versus men with female partners and the kinds of challenges that we've had to deal with. And I think, again, collectively speaking, women have developed more ways of dealing with their partners being with other women because that was just such a much more common occurrence than the other way around. And so I think for many men, not everybody, of course, different people will have different experiences, but for many men, this will be a difficult transition to go through to accept the fact that yeah, just like I want to have multiple partners, my girlfriend or my wife also wants to have multiple partners. And if they hold any kind of gender egalitarian standards and don't want to be seen as a hypocrite in in this way, then they're going to have to wrap their heads around it. And I think anyone who's going through a difficult transition could use some help, could use some handholding. Whenever someone's going through a difficult transition, if there is a way to make that transition easier and smoother and more likely to lead to success in the long run, then I'm pragmatist. So if this is something, so I wouldn't recommend this to people who are not obviously interested in having a female, male, female threesome or for doing this for partners who say, for male partners who say, I will never have an MFM threesome, right? That's off the table, period. But for people who are potentially interested and curious in having both of these kinds of experiences, very often in heterosexual relationships, the female-male threesome is the lower hanging fruit Mm -hmm. in a way, the thing that appeals to both people more and it's easier to handle. And so in those cases, I recommend going that route. Uh, so kind of taking baby steps toward uh, these greater openings and sexual mm-hmm. explorations. It's not going to work out in all couples. In some couples, it might be the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes the woman might have a bigger issue seeing her her boyfriend or husband with another woman mm-hmm. than the other way around. So in those cases, the, the main principle here is find the lower hanging, the lowest hanging fruit for both of you and then do that first mm-hmm. because that creates the highest chance of having a pleasurable fun positive experience where both people are like oh this was good right this was mm. fun 
that therefore maybe we can push a little bit more next time and uh it it yeah decreases the fear and all that yeah lowest hanging fruit fruit is something that is delicious mm-hmm. ideally so find the things that are delicious or sound delicious to both people and then start there use that as a stepping stone yeah i, I love, love that. that yeah it makes a lot of sense <clears throat> to me um i i know we kind of moved on past this but i just 12,000 years i i like you know, when five years ago or six years ago, when we uh, started this podcast and, um, you know, we had been talking about open our, opening our relationship for a long time and we we're doing some reading and we had a chance to see um, Christopher Ryan speak at a festival. And so in my head, intellectually, I, I was aware that this idea of this practice, let's say, of monogamy came into play around the same time. This is what I understood to be true anyway. Came into came into being around the same time as farming became a thing yeah, the because of agriculture. Because we needed to cuz then we were own we were in we had land that then could be passed on to our children and we needed to know who our children were so that that lineage could continue. I had I, I didn't cross my mind that that was 12,000 years ago cuz Well, at that point that that was uh, that was about Five years ago, so that would have been eleven thousand nine hundred ninety-five years ago. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But it was yeah, a shorter period I mean, of time. Semantics, it doesn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> when I realized it, but but was like that. I, I know it didn't happen abruptly. That was a there was a transition time that happened there. I think I always just had it in my mind too that there was some sort of fear around female sexuality being like sort of dangerous, but. But was that just because it could potentially disrupt the family unit or was there more tied into that with with regards to like the rise of the patriarchy and the like it seemed I don't know what came before, I guess. Were we pretty egalitarian and and having sex like willy nilly with whoever we wanted before (laughs) then? Um, And. And like, why were women so susceptible to, to being like, okay, well, if it's, if I could potentially get stoned to death, then I'll just bury this impulse. It seemed <laughs> like, obviously there was a transition period, but when I hear 12,000 years ago, I'm like, that seems abrupt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I don't know exactly how abrupt these things were. Obviously it's a process of slowly going in a certain direction as farming happened and made our lives much more sedentary and created that surplus of resources, land, animals, uh, other types of food that could be stored long-term that now we could pass on to our children. It's obviously figuring out exactly how humans and our hominid ancestors used to live back before agriculture is to some extent a speculation. Mm-hmm. And we don't have direct evidence. There's no written material and uh, all of that from those times. So we can do our best to infer. My best understanding of reading that literature uh, in terms of how this, what came before the agricultural rise of the patriarchy was that these hunter-gatherer societies and tribes that humans evolved in for several million years were most of them relatively egalitarian, gender egalitarian, even though there was a division of labor, especially Mm -hmm. since uh, hunting 
in, in the way that we think of today. There was some hunting before things got specialized, before we had projectiles that we could hit animals with and hunt them that way. Before that, it seems like everybody hunted together and mm. tried to push animals off a cliff or something like that. And then the whole tribe would get together, men and women and children, everyone would try to do it together. But once projectiles started to develop, that's when the men started to do that as their kind of main job. And um, women started to stick to the hunting, the the gathering, and then the um, sometimes trapping and hunting smaller animals as well. And so there was this division of labor. However, both of those types of labor were quite valued. And uh, so women generally in these societies had a fairly high social and, and political, if you will, power that and respect and all of that. And um, so that was one big shift that happened when agriculture came onto the scene that because of that surplus, because of the way now resources were created, you know, the way food was created, that men all of a sudden had a lot more, a lot more uh, power over mm. creating and owning that food, then things changed, shifted mm. in terms of the, um, the, the gender uh, roles. But in terms of the mating systems that we used to have, it's, um, again, it's all a speculation, but it, the most plausible story to me is that we evolved initially similar to our closest living, uh, closest animal relatives, chimps and bonobos. Our, the hominid ancestors split off from the chimps and bonobos about 6 million years ago. And the chimps and the bonobos are both promiscuous. They do not form pair bonds. There are no long-term relationships that are being formed among chimps and bonobos. Everybody, it's only casual sex, basically. <laughs> and both males and females mate with multiple partners. And uh, then only the females raise the children. No, There's no paternal care because nobody knows who the fathers are given the different number of partners that a female mm. might have. And so mo most people believe that that's how we started off as well, six million years ago, that we started off promiscuous without pair bonds. And then at some point during those couple of millions of years, pair bonds, attachment, long-term relationships started to form. Most people think that started to happen around 2 million years ago when Homo erectus came onto the scene is when mm. we started to bond in these more long-term ways. And that's when the standard narrative says, okay, that's when we shifted toward monogamy. But it sounds like we shifted toward monogamy in a social way in these long-term pair bonds, but there is no reason to believe that those pair bonds were sexually exclusive or mm. even romantically exclusive. As soon mm -hmm. as, right, even though, yes, now love started to happen, jealousy started to happen to make these bonds what they were, but people still had those sexual desires to be with multiple people that we have carried for millions of years. And I'm sure that whenever opportunities presented themselves, whether to have affairs with other people in the same tribe, or to have more like one night stands with the neighboring tribe when we met mm. around a watering hole, or we all went uh, 
hunting, you know, uh, together or something like that. Or when people travel to visit relatives in neighboring tribes, neighboring bands, opportunities presented themselves for both men and women. And my guess is both men and women took those opportunities Mm. when they presented themselves. So my best understanding is that once pair bonding arose about, let's say that it happened about 2 million years ago, then it added another dimension to our sexual and romantic relating in addition to this pure sexual Mm. desire and promiscuity that we had had before that. I don't think it it replaced it. I think it's a separate system that got added onto the human species that we Mm. can now play with. yeah, the the long-term love and attachment pair bond and the more novelty, excitement, mm. adventure, and sexual um, variety that was always there. Yeah. Part- and that though two, those two things could live peacefully within the same yeah. ex- existence. Yeah, part geese, part bonobo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I think we. The, I think the biggest problem that we have with this whole question of monogamy, non-monogamy. The reason why Ashley Madison is the largest dating site in the world with seventy-five million people members on it, is because we need those two things to yeah. be able to coexist. Yeah. yeah, and yet we're telling people, uh-uh, you can only have one. Either you you are single if you want to slutty it up, you know, if you want to enjoy multiple partners, you have to be single. You can't do that as part of a relationship. And then once you form a relationship, then you can have the Mm. promiscuity, the non-monogamy part of yourself. It's either or. It's this zero-sum game. Mm. And we try to play that zero-sum game, but that means ignoring, like suppressing completely an entire part of who we are. And so, of course, people end up finding less than ideal at some at sometimes options for how to get both of these needs met. Knowing what I know about what happens to the body and, and the mind when you suppress your anything, that sounds like a recipe for a really ill yeah. population. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, most certainly. Th- yeah. This- and, and especially nowadays when we have so many opportunities, that's the mm-hmm. other factor yeah, yeah. that's coming in today you know, yes, 12,000 years of post of agricultural um, kind of existence, but then we had the industrial revolution about 200 years ago that changed things up, made these big cities uh, and, and more mobility and all that. And then about 50 years ago, when the information age started to happen and we really took things to the next level where now it's very difficult, much more difficult than in the past, to maintain this fully monogamous lifelong kind of um, lifestyle. And with all the dating apps with all the geographic mobility that we have with the fact that we live longer and often healthier lives and we can remain sexual into our older age, all of those things are creating a set of circumstances that make this strict lifelong monogamy not an ideal scenario for many of us. And, you know, back to what Brady was saying earlier, like you can't reach people in this way and they end up doing it the wrong or the unethical way. I actually think we are. I think we are finally creating Mm. the world and collecting these data, finding out where people are and how some of these things are changing is helping everybody have 
more intentional relationships from the beginning and build the right kind of relationship for, for themselves from the beginning. Now, of course, we have a huge portion of the population who finds themselves already in relationships that might not be of you know the, the right kind for them because they didn't have they didn't have the freedom, they didn't have the language, they didn't have the options that are becoming more and more available today. Mm. But you know, one of the pieces of information, pieces of pieces of data that we collected through that Ashley Madison Commission story uh, study that YouGov conducted is that something like 25% of the U.S. population of U.S. adults see some type of non-monogamy as their ideal relationship type. Mm. That's a quarter, a quarter, a quarter, people. 25 to 30% and much higher numbers among the younger generation. So Gen Z, something like 40% mm. among the um, Gen Zs and millennials. So the 18 to 34 um, age group, about 40% of them said that some type of non-monogamy is their ideal relationship type at the moment. Mm. And so I think what we're going to see is more and more people finding themselves in the right relationship type from the beginning yeah. so that fewer and fewer people are going to feel the need to cheat and lie and kind of go behind their partner's backs um, in order to meet some of these basic human needs that we have. Absolutely. I mean, again, I, I think I started this conversation expressing how my favorite conversations are with people uh, who do the work that you do, Dr. Uh, like researchers in the field of sexuality is just it's it's endlessly fascinating thank you for taking time out of your schedule to sit down and and talk to us about all of this This has been so lovely um how can people stay up to date with what you are doing how can people find um open smarter course uh let us know let us know how we can find you Sure. Uh, I am easily foundable as Dr. Jana, D-R-Z-H-A-N-A. So that's my website, drjana.com. That's my Instagram and Twitter at Dr. Jana. And the Open Smarter course is on that same website. So it's drjana.com slash open dash smarter. And um, yeah, connect with me on any, any of those. I run these free events once a month called Open Smarter Socials every third Wednesday of the month on a different monogamy, non-monogamy related topic. They're open to anyone, anywhere in the world. They're Zoom-based events. And that's a place where Open Smarter students and non-students can all come together and deepen their knowledge of monogamy, non-monogamy, mm. and also find like-minded folks, connect with um, like-minded folks from uh, all over the world. So that's uh, something that I would welcome anyone to join who's interested. Our next event on March 16th is on the topic of open monogamy. Mm. So thinking about the different ways that we can have monogamy too, mm -hmm. and not just non-monogamy. So yeah. That's Amazing. Great. Right. Thank yeah. you so much. This has been really fun. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, 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 hello. Hey, baby, baby. Oh, I can't hear you again in my headphones. Just oh, really? like dead headphones. But it's okay. I can hear you in real life. Are you sure? Yep. All right. Um, well, uh, that was a nice conversation with Dr. Jana. Mm -hmm. um, Every time we go to talk to someone about non-monogamy, I'm like, Letha already talked about all there is to talk about. And mm. then we talked to Dr. Jana and I was like, wow. Open our minds even yeah. further. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's pretty cool. 
Um, she's pretty cool. And, uh, and we, we didn't really, we didn't dive into Ashley Madison a whole bunch, but I know that she's, she's done a bunch of work with them. And, um, as have a number, not a number of our guests, but a couple of our guests have come through, through Ashley Madison contacting us. And, uh, and we're really grateful. They've hooked us up with some great guests. Yeah. There was, when we stopped recording though, there was something that, um, that, uh, Dr. Jana and her colleague, um, who was hanging out during the recording, but wasn't a part of it. Um, and they brought up, they, they brought up a point that, um, that like almost like a correction, like correct yep. me in something that I'd said. Can you can you walk us through that? Because I, I kind of forget. But yeah, so her name is Amra, and um, thanks, Amra. I know, hope you're listening. Um, and Amra works for Ashley Madison, and and there was something that happened in the conversation where I kind of asked Dr. Jana, like, how do you feel being like a a teacher of ethical non monogamy, and then working with Ashley Madison, do you feel like any conflict in working with people on the other side of the line there or analyzing data collected from people on the other, on the other side of Ashley Madison who are like having these relationships online, presumably, Mm. you know, like stereotypically we may categorize Ashley Madison as like a cheating website. Mm. But I think what we learned is that it's actually a dating site yeah. And that the the distinction that that we learned and we'd like to share with all of you is there is something inherently judgmental about the term ethical non-monogamy, you know, and that can be ethics, you know, we think it can, actually can be a little bit subjective. Right. Um and so the distinction we made at the end was that some of the people who participate on this dating site are participating in negotiated non-monogamy. So they may actually be on there with their partner's knowledge, but they don't want to get on like Tinder and have it be totally out in the open necessarily. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit more conspicuous to be on Ashley Madison as a dating site because not everybody discreet. I think is the word you're looking for there. Yeah. What did I say? Conspicuous. Oh, that's right, though. Isn't sure. It? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, negotiated versus non-negotiated, as opposed to ethical versus non-ethical, or disclosed versus non-disclosed, um, is maybe a little bit more all-encompassing way of of talking about it in a non. I don't know, like a non-stereotypical way or non-classifying yeah. people, you know, in a certain way. Because also one of the questions we didn't ask Dr. Zana, but she, Dr. Zana, but she does talk about it on her website and in her blog posts and maybe even in these um, monthly get-togethers that she hosts, which I'll, I'll remind you about in a minute, that, that, uh, I lost my train of thought, but the... Basically, in a in a in a like, just have a little bit of a thick skin hearing this for a minute. That maybe uh, having outside relationships outside of your basically like maybe cheating is okay sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's interesting? As I recall, Dan Savage talking about that as well. Yeah. Like I remember, he, so Dr. Jana, I, I don't remember if this is in the recording or if this happened after the recording, but she was saying like when she polled her audience, which is primarily people in 
some sort of negotiated non-monogamous relationship mm. and ask them, would you rather your partner had an affair and didn't tell you and your relationship was actually great and it went well and, you know, everything, or would you rather have found out about it and, you know, had to mm. deal with all that emotional stuff that her audience, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but her audience was was like, yeah, I'd rather not, I'd rather just not know and yeah. have the happy relationship. Yeah, and again, like, I, I think that the, the it's, it's, um, uh, it's, th- this whole thing is very subjective, right? Like, there's people that would, there's people that fall on all, all sides of the, totally. the spectrum there. And um, Amro was sharing as well. Yeah. She's been on all the sides of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have been on all the, Spritey has Same. been on all the sides yeah. of this. And, yeah, I could see. Yeah, I'm not. This is not in any way giving permission to people to go out and just like no, you know, just yeah, be and irresponsible. No, yeah, exactly. And also, I, th- I think it's I, I think it's good to just like uh, acknowledge that some people might hear that and it really rubs yeah. them the wrong way, right? Yeah. So, um, especially someone who probably like probably listening right now that just got cheated on. Yeah, like, right. Fuck you. Yeah. Um, conspicuous, the definition of conspicuous, obvious to the eye or mind. Right. So obvious to the eye on yeah. Tinder, um, less obvious on. <laughs> but the way I was, I was the definition that Discreet. I was thinking of was marked by a noticeable violation of good taste. Discreet? No, no, no. Conspicuous. Oh, Marked when by I, when violation con- of good taste. Yes, when you said conspicuous, I th- I thought of it from that perspective. Isn't that interesting? Marked by a noticeable violation of good taste. So if I do something conspicuous, it means you, I have you're being bad shady. taste. You're being shady. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Did you see? Because I didn't realize that conspicuous was uh, obvious to the eye or mind. No idea. I, no I, idea. I had I had more of a my, my connotation of that word is more so, and that's the third. The uh, violation of good taste, that's the third definition. The third definition down. Yeah. The the second one is attracting attention, striking. So if you're a new listener, Jeremy and I love words. We spent like a good good, um, couple weeks of our professional degree uh, with all 20 volumes of the English language dictionary. And, you know, you look up a word like conspicuous and it might go on with 50 definitions, many of them obsolete, no longer in use, but it helps you figure out the origin from which our words came. And, you know, that's what makes the the source game so goddamn fun. Oh, my God. Um, Did you actually be a good uh, be a good good word to play? Yeah. Um, Outstanding, salient, distinguished, eminent, flashy, garish, opulent, ornate, engrossing. Okay. Yeah. I would totally guess would be a hard. I, I wouldn't be. at all. Jazzy. Jazzy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's definitely conspicuous. Ma- oh my God. What's this? Meretricious. What oh, a, I like what that a one. Wonderful word. Meretricious. You know who would use a word like that? Uh, formal or disapproving, attractive in a cheap or false way. Merit- mer- meretricious. That's a I, good word. I bet I know. I bet Matthew Remsky knows that word. Yeah. Um, did you see the word that I recently added to our Slack conversation about this podcast? Uh, no. Muliebrity. What's that? Muliebrity. It's perfect for today, the day in which we're recording. Oh, womenly qualities, womanhood, muliebrity, muliebrity. Uh, Muliebrity. It comes from the Latin mulier, which means women, woman. I like that. 
Muley Eberty. Um, and listen, uh, for folks that are patrons, um, for sure, just hop over to Patreon and watch the aftercare segment here if you haven't been doing that. <gasps> and the reason why is because you, you're going to notice Donut hopping up and down off the table. It With looks a- like I took home the wrong dog. <laughs> he is very different. Uh, holy smokes, Brand man. new dog. Brand new dog. I had to take him in to get a haircut. His mats got away on me. And, um, and I asked him, I was like, look, I know you're probably going to have to shave him, but don't if you, if you cannot. And I was like, and if you have to shave him fully, please just leave his full voluptuous mustache. And uh, I picked him up today and they were like, we ha- I'm sorry, we had to like fully shave him. And he is, uh, he still has his mustache, thankfully. He does. Um, but they also left his tail he's and I'm so, so pissed about it. So cute. He's so cute. He looks so dumb. Uh, if there's any but vets or animal experts in the house who could uh, attest to what a dog goes through psychologically when yeah. he loses, he doesn't all seem embarrassed. Like he doesn't hair. get that sort of like. And I know that that's uh, what's the word for that when you anthropomorphizing. Like oh yeah, like I think we do place uh, like emotions in dogs that just aren't there. But he doesn't have. He's not. He hasn't like even from an anthropomorphizing sentiment. He doesn't. Um, he doesn't seem embarrassed or anything about yeah, this Yeah, because I have a, a my Seems mom confident. has a, a poodle mix of a, yeah. who does not like getting their hair cut. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but before we move too far on, uh, just because you brought up Patreon, and yeah, if you're not a Patreon subscriber yet. Go you fuck sh- yourself. <laughs> you go get fucked. Okay, that's not the route I was going to take. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, I was going to say a thank you. Oh, okay. We have a few thank yous. Is it all right if I... Oh, sorry. I was saying go fuck yourself to all the people that haven't become a patron yet. <laughs> go touch yourself, I think is what you mean. No, no. Say. I mean, fuck you. Oh. Get fucked. Yeah, no. We uh, we we actually... Yeah, Patreon, it's... Patreon's a funny little uh, a thing to, to do because, you know, when you first start a Patreon, you get a bunch of people that sign up and it's like really exciting. Yeah. And then... And then... People trickle away yeah. and people trickle in and yeah. and we want to make sure that we show our appreciation Coming to, to the, the most recent co- comers, uh, which um, came. The most recent comers that came. The, the most recent that comers that came in January. All you comers out there. <laughs> so special thanks, I want to say before I forget, to uh, our most recent ads on Patreon, Erica and Bernadette and Steph, you all rock so hard and uh, we love you. Keep on coming. Yeah, keep coming and, cu- and keep on coming. <laughs> uh, hey, you want to do something fun? Yeah. You want to watch the trailer for the big sex talk? I do. Yeah, let's do it. All right, here. I didn't, I didn't prep it, so just give me a second. We'll be right back. Okay, so I uh, got this prepped. Ready? Yep. Ready. Here we go. This is the uh, the documentary, The Big Sex Talk, coming out on CBC Gem um, soon, very, very soon. And uh, I was very uh, fortunate to be a part of it, along with some previous Sick Boy guests, including Andrew Gerza, Susan Wenzel, that was her name, mm. and, uh, and uh, John, um, John the lawyer, uh, what was his name? John? John Paul Boyd. John Paul Boyd, JPD, JPB. John Paul. John Paul. All right, here we go. Sex. 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 I have so many questions. What is good sex? Who's having it? How do you do it? Ultimately, 
everything is about sex. Big Sex Talk, take two. Hey there, lovers and friends. We ask Canadians to talk about sex. I do sometimes watch porn. Usually it's when my vibrator is out of batteries. I know I'm still attracted to women, but there's something else that's happening here. He's more tantric, softer sex. I like kinky BDSM. I don't know how graphic you want me to get. And things got real. Sex yeah. Like, oh. real fast. I need to use a lot more lube than I used to. I'm kind of just a cuddle slut. <laughs> Even though I haven't seen many other dicks in my life, I just knew that that was an ugly one. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> From the way that we stay together. Okay, bear with me. My wife has a boyfriend. I have a girlfriend. People assume I'm like a sex-crazed person, that I'm just into just orgies. I could probably open my relationship. Really? I don't think you, okay, you can. Okay, that's new information. To the way we play together. Toys! It goes boing! You feel like, whoa, I just won something. It turned dating into a casino. People say really shitty things when they're behind a keyboard. We all have questions. Is it sex if you are masturbating with somebody over FaceTime? When you're naked with the person that you're hot for, like, what do you do now? That is a million dollar question. <laughs> And while some like it hot. For me, it's eyes. Those muscles, those breasts. And, and those tingly sensations. Then it gets really fun. <laughs> Do I feel sexy at my age? Absolutely. And some like it not. I'm asexual. I don't hate sex. I just hate it for me. It just <laughs> icks me out. It doesn't matter what's in your goddamn pants. Cake is better than sex. Cake is better than sex. Sometimes it is. No, 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 no. I like dick. I want that back. <laughs> Most of us are somewhere in between. Sometimes I feel like being a guy, and sometimes I feel like being a girl. We're this gorgeous looking dad bod. All of us can be queer. There's so many options. <laughs> can I say that? We sure love to talk about it. Welcome to the Big Sex Talk. Do not ask other people if they masturbate. That is such an uncomfortable question. Would you ask your grandmother, hey, grandma, do you masturbate? <laughs> There we go. I am thrilled. I'm so excited. Isn't that fun? I'm really excited to watch that. It looks, uh, yeah. it looks like it covers a lot of ground. Yeah, yeah. A lot of different people. <clears throat> and also, I disagree about asking people whether they masturbate. I know. I know. I, with that last clip, I was like, "Come on." Do you know why? Because my older sister Shay asked me when I was probably. 12 or 13, if yeah. I masturbated, and I was horrified. Of course you were. I had been masturbating, of course, yeah. but I wasn't going to talk about that with anybody. Yeah. And I was really, I felt really uh, kind of resentful that she put me on the spot like that. Right. And also made it seem crazy that I didn't talk about those things with my friends. Right. Um, and now I get it. But it wasn't exactly the encouragement that I needed right. at that age. It was I needed a more gentle uh, approach to talking yeah. about sex at that age. Well, the thing I'm really excited to watch the show for is um, uh, egotistically just to Yourself. see myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you look great. But but for real, um, really excited to see all the opinions and all mm. of the takes on sex and sexuality and gender and. Uh, it, cause I, I, I do, I, I mean, I wasn't there for filming for anybody else. I, I flew into Montreal, did my shoot and then left. Mm -hmm. Um, but just talking to the producers about the making of it, it seems like there's going to be a lot of different we should get them on the show. takes. Yeah, we should. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. 
yeah, for real. Will our patrons have seen that when you played it? When you played the trailer, they'll they'll have just... seen the trailer. Yes, okay. patrons can, could have watched that. If you're listening at home and you're not a patron, go fuck yourself. And uh, <laughs> oh. but, but you would have heard it. You would have heard it. But they can also watch it. You can watch the trailer. It's out on uh, yeah. Just look up the big sex talk on YouTube. Okay. And uh, there's another video that they posted a couple of days ago, but I haven't seen it yet. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So really excited about that show. Uh, uh, it's fucking man. When they sent me the fucking trailer and I watched it, it was like the day after I broke up with my girlfriend oh, and no. that one scene, I was like, Oh, I don't have a girlfriend anymore. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Can you edit that? Out? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> anyway, whatever. It's um, okay. You'll have a girlfriend again by the time it's out. <sighs> I'm just kidding. No, Ooh. we're not rushing things, right? No, we're not. No, we are not. We're not rushing anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm living that single life and really singling it up. Yeah. Really lonely, lonelying it up. You and Donut have fresh looks. That's right. For the spring. Yeah, my mullet. Actually, uh, Donut got a haircut today and I'm going in to get my mullet uh, more mulletized adjusted. tomorrow. Do you get your mullet adjusted? Is that what you do with the mullet? No, no. You just like you, you just you level up your mullet. Oh, so, oh, you level up. I'm going to level my mullet up tomorrow <laughs> morning. How often can you level up your mullet? I go every two weeks. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Typically, keep, keep a haircut fresh. for you is every three weeks, right? Two, two or three weeks, yeah. But yeah. with a mullet, you need a little more attention. Because there's some crafting. Not necessarily. It's just some sculpting happening. I could go there. three weeks. I just want to keep it nice and fresh. I'm single. I got to <laughs> keep it fresh now. <laughs> I'm single. I'm starting to go back out into the world and seeing humans, mm-hmm. you know? I got I to gotta keep my... Um, I got to keep that bartender impressed, the one that I'll never, ever have a relationship with that I just like to fantasize that one day we, we elope. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with fantasizing. That's right. Um, now, we're also getting in where we live into we're nearly we're nearly masks off. We're restriction free in, in a week and a bit. So all you people who are more hot uh, with your mask off, it's the springtime's coming. That's the right. People with, who are... Not as hot with her mask off. Man, we just talked about this on Sick Boy. <laughs> I was saying to the guys, like, I, I don't know how this came up on Sick Boy, but I was saying, to, oh yeah, Brian was saying, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to. Uh, what did he, what did he say? Like smi- smize? Use, oh yeah, use, use a, his eyes. Give a smize. Extra wrinkles a smi- around the an eye. Eye smile. Yeah. And I was saying, I actually really like the smize because. And you I was, can, I was gr- you can be grimacing underneath your mask. Totally, yeah, yeah. But the <laughs> the thing I was saying is that masks remind me of, um, and this this might not be relatable to everyone, but I feel like it, it must be to some degree. Like you see a person that you don't know, right? So the first time you're seeing them, and you see them with a mask on, so you don't know really, you you don't know what over half of their face looks like, but you see enough to see their eyes, and you see their smiles, their smile, eye smile, and so we'll use this. We'll use my like my my ultimate crush at the at the bar that I have been going to. In a ma- under a mask or in a mask, she's very beautiful. And <laughs> one of the things that I was thinking about it's like it kind of reminds me of uh, like really good horror films. Mm. In that a really great horror film is the horror film that doesn't show you everything. Right. The less less is more in a horror film. So like. The Blair Witch, for example, they don't, you don't see anything in the Blair Witch. You don't see anything in the Blair Witch except for that final scene with a guy in a dark room standing in a corner. But even then, you don't see anything. Mm-hmm. And that movie is so terrifying because everything is left to your own imagination. 
And that makes it more scary. And the mask thing is very similar in that you see someone with a mask and you're like, wow, that's a really attractive person. Or but, is but, it? But, but you can't, you don't know <laughs> that. You don't know that. You're saying that because your mind is, is piecing together whether or not you see it clearly or it's completely a blur. Your mind's piecing together what is underneath that mask that's covering all the, you know, a big part of their face that allows you to actually tell whether or not you find that face attractive. And so sometimes when you see them without the mask, it's like, it's like that horror movie thing where it kind of ruins it. Where you're like, oh, no. Oh, they didn't it, do such it. a good job on the liked CGI it. of yeah, that I w- monster. I w- yeah, I would have liked it better if they didn't show me that, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, yeah, but, uh, but, it's a- but, but, but my crush underneath that mask is stunning. You found out? Oh, yeah. Did they take their mask off or did you at, snoop yeah, them? Yeah, they took their mask off at work. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting to that phase. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Our teachers had us all uh, take our masks off uh, at the end of a class to like, they wanted to know like how we felt after a particular treatment, but they, they were like, maybe we can see your actual face. How will you take your mask off while you're talking to us? And with each person, they like gasped and giggled and like spoke among <laughs> themselves. It's really funny. Because like no one's, because no one has actually seen each other without their mask yet. Like, well, the, I mean, this was part. last term, but yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. That's so when really it was funny. really new. That's really funny. And it is shock. Sometimes you're like, no, I'm like, but, uh, but then other, yeah. So anyway, yeah. I'd like to think that I'm a person whose looks improve when the mask comes off. Yeah. I, I hope we all th- feel that way about ourselves. I've never thought about it. What so do you I, think you are? <laughs> whether whether I improve or... Well, it's or, like, the, what's the equivalent of the grower or the shower? It's the, Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. You the, yeah, I don't know. In a mask, I, I, I feel like I don't look great in a mask. I, I, think, I, think, I, look, I think I'm a pretty good looking fella. So I, th- <laughs> I think I, I th- a mask detracts from my looks. Okay. Because I think a big part for, I mean, and this is all in my own mind because I don't know, I don't know how other people feel, but a, a big part of how, what makes me feel attractive to myself is, is my face, is my facial hair. Oh, interesting. And so when, when that's not, when you can't see my facial hair. Like, You're not really getting the full I'm not as, I'm not as good, package. I'm not as hot as I think I But if you have a bad skin day, like you have a breakout. Like I do right now. Oh, fuck me. I can't see that. Oh, on your lip. I've got a, I've got a. A rager. I have a very angry person living rent free on my face. <laughs> Why <laughs> are they so angry? I don't know, man. I don't know. But it's, uh, it's, it's really bumming me out. I'm supposed to go on a date on Thursday. Oh, Baby, and you need I some. You need a treatment of I some kind. I, I might, I might call the date off. I think that's. I think not. No, I'm not saying like, yeah, you look bad. You should. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a reason. If this of, doesn't figure itself out, yeah. by end of day tomorrow, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna just. You know what? Say, ice. Try yeah, some yeah, ice. Yeah, yeah. Ice yeah. is apparently the thing for e, uh, for inflammation. Yeah, I've been using um, I've been using tea tree oil and uh, like hypercortisol cream. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Try some ice as well for the yeah. for inflammation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might take some of the redness away. Maybe like six Advil every two hours. No. Uh, just <laughs> fucking use natural treatments like ice. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's an emergency, Bridie. I know. I got to get this figured out. I'm ex- I, this is the first date. I'm I'm excited about this. Yeah. You want to you want to feel good. You're going to feel you feel, you know yeah. what? Even with this You know what? They actually lip, fuck that. You no, you great. know what? Fuck that. Fuck okay. That. Maybe I'll maybe I'll just go on the date anyway and go, "Hey, 
This is me. This is me. Sometimes. If you can't handle me at my at my worst, <laughs> and this is my wor- I'm literally this That's is not literally worst. my worst. It's not your worst. It's my worst now, right now. It's your worst. It's my worst in since uh, yeah, since things were really bad before <laughs> yeah. I took Accutane twice. Oh my Jesus! Um, but that's good for your system. If you can't take me at my, if you can't take me as I am like this, yeah, maybe that's a good filter. Yeah, you know, get me to like filter it out and go, hey, look, like whatever. It's I, I know hey, it's my like, eyes are up here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no one wants to kiss. It's it's like um, it's like near my lip. It looks like herpes. Here's a great challenge for you: don't kiss on the first date. Right. This is someone I've been on a date with before, and we kissed on the on oh, that date. Oh shit! You screwed this one up already. <laughs> yeah, you're shit out of luck. It was a right long time ago. Gate. It was a lot. The date was a long time ago, though. So maybe there's like enough reset time. Yeah. I don't know. I've grown. I no longer kiss on the first date. Yeah. Right. I'm gonna be like Megan Mullally and what's her husband's name? Nick Offerman, and we are not even going to make contact for the next four months. What is this? Oh, I, I was just listening to uh, Nick Offerman on a podcast and it, they didn't, they just didn't have sex. They didn't have intercourse for, uh, until they had been dating for four months because wow. up until then she had been, according to him, she she's had been dating. She's a total babe. She had been dating mostly like musicians and like rock stars. And apparently, according to him, when she met Nick Offerman, she was like, oh, this is not a guy you date. This is a guy that you kind of like, get into it for life with you wife up. Yeah. And so, uh, he was like, yeah, apparently the way she tells it that to him. I don't know. But apparently she, I obviously she said it to him at some point cause he's regurgitating it at a podcast. I don't know if she said that right away, but she did. Uh, she said that on the first date, you know what? You're not someone you date. You're someone (laughs) that you just, you decide, all right, I'm going to have kids with you or we're not. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, let's yeah. see how the next four yeah, months right. go. No, but he he did say uh, he was like it wasn't like there was nothing. There were there were there were yeah. breadcrumbs along sure, the way. Sure, I'm sure, sure. You know, we're talking about oral sex. Yeah, uh, rimming. <laughs> probably some rimming. <laughs> probably some nipple play. Yeah, maybe some sex toys. Yeah. No, she is a total babe. She so is. is he. Yeah, totally. He is not with a with a without a beard. Not a babe without a beard. No, he's like uh, what's his name, Aquaman, fucking. Um, Jason Momoa. Oh, Jason yeah. Momoa with a beard. You're like, dude, fuck you. Why are you For so existing. fucking hot? And then he shaves, and you see him in Dune, and you're like, ugh, baby. What happened, baby face? I don't actually know who, who what he looks like. I haven't seen Dune, but what? I have looked what? up pictures of him with and without a beard, only because this has been told to me before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's, I mean, he's a, he's a good looking fellow. We're watching, uh, we're rewatching uh, Parks and Rec. Yeah. And uh, I'm re-obsessed with Chris Pat- Pratt, which, I mean, he just. Pretty, pretty level looking dude. Uh, Donna in the show, she says, uh, hi, Andy, you're fine, but you're stupid. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes it makes people better looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Um, he's so dumb in that show. Fuck, it's he's so, great. so good. He's so he good wasn't supposed dumb. to be in that show. I know they, he was. He, he, he was literally supposed was a, supposed to be done after the pilot. After the pilot, and that first episode, they were like, "Jesus, we got to write him." It in. is such a wholesomely funny show, it too. Is. I know. Oh my god. Um. Cool. Tell me about uh, dolphin pussies. Uh. Okay. 
I do want to. I wasn't sure if we were going to have time for it because we've talked so yeah, long. Yeah, we got time. Okay, but before we move on to Dolphin Pussies, I just want to remind everybody that if you want to get together with Dr. Jana and a community of uh, of other open-minded people, every third Wednesday of the month, she has an open social and um, where you can just get together and chat. It says the Open Smarter Socials are free online events where people with different levels of experience with open relationships come together, share personal stories, and discuss the topic at hand. So you can find her that on eventbrite.com, Open Smarter Social. The next one is March 16th. That's a week from uh, today. So a week from this release date at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Um... And I don't know whether it's on Zoom or Skype or whatever, but you can get a, a, a onto the list by going to eventbrite.com slash open smarter social or just look up open smarter social um, or go to Dr. Shauna's uh, website and find it from there. Okay, so uh, let me find... Oh, I closed my document on Dolphin Pussies. Um, and I didn't even title it, so it's just an untitled... Okay, there we go. So I found this um, article on uh, newscientist.com. And it's called What Dolphins Reveal About the Evolution of the Clitoris. So we have a researcher named Patricia Brennan. And Patricia's latest research suggests that bottlenose dolphins have clitorises that evolved for pleasure. Now, I don't think it's any news to anybody. Yeah, dolphins that, fuck for pleasure. Bonobos. There's a couple of animals. A couple of animals that talk that, that do it for pleasure. Horses, I think. Oh, interesting. Didn't know that. Um, so bottlenose dolphins are hypersexual creatures. Patricia Brennan has forged a controversial career in studying the twist and turns of the evolution of animal genitalia. A biologist based at Mount Hollyhoke College in South Hadley, Massachusetts, her latest research, sorry, her latest research, I'd like to say it like that now. Uh, okay, why? Her, because it's, it's, it's... It does sound more distinguished. Mm-hmm. Her, latest, her latest research suggests that bottlenose dolphins have clitorises or clitorises <clears throat> that have evolved for pleasure. Something she says makes sense given the amount of sex the animals have. She says she has been, she has first person. I have been collaborating with a researcher who was studying vaginas and dolphins. Dolphins have very complicated vaginas, which contain many folds. The hypothesis was that these folds were there to exclude salt water during copulation because it's supposed to be lethal to mammalian sperm. But nobody had ever actually really studied these folds or tried to test the idea. She says, we haven't been able to pinpoint exactly why they are that way. But when we dissected the vaginas, I would look at these clitorises and just be amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, these are pretty big, well-developed clitorises. And I thought that might be something interesting to look at. We know that dolphins have sex all the time. They have sex for social reasons, not just for reproduction. It makes sense that the clitoris would be functional and give give pleasure when stimulated. It's a bit of a tongue twister, this one. Uh, She says, we don't really know if they're having more sex than other marine animals. It's really hard, hard to study sexual behavior in cetaceans because they're out there in the ocean. But bottlenose dolphins live close to the shore where scientists can go out on their boats and study them. 
They see them having sex year round, even when the females are not receptive. So like not impregnable. Yeah. Uh, so not ready to get pregnant and have babies. And not only do they have sex all the time, they have a lot of homosexual sex as well. The females will rub each other's clitorises with their snouts Whoa. and their flippers really often. Whoa. It's not like once in a blue moon you'll see females stimulating each other. It's actually pretty common. Females also masturbate. If they're out there seeking all these sexual experiences, it's likely that it's probably feeling good. And the males for sure have lots of homosexual sex. The males will have anal sex. They'll insert their penises into each other's blowholes. Oh, my God. Bottlenose dolphins are really hypersexual animals. Holy fuck. They came, uh, so she, he asked, the, the interviewer asked, how did you go about studying dolphin clitorises? And in this, uh, in this article, um, you can read about the, I'm not going to read this whole section, but they came from dolphins that have died from natural causes, mostly from stranding so they wash up on shore anyway so they wow. there's a whole thing um i wanted to get to also this next little part um so she says in general i study genital coevolution I'm interested in looking at males and females and how they co-evolved together. When it comes to genitalia, you have to look at both sides of the equation to figure out how they work because mechanically, they have to fit together. The job of genitalia is to facil facilitate male and female gametes getting together. So like the eggs, the eggs right, right? Right, right, And you could have a tube uh, going into a cylinder that would achieve that basic goal. But genitalia are not like that. They have all sorts of weird elaborations and other features that are going on. They have spines, they have bumps, turns, pockets, and spirals. We're trying to understand the evolutionary processes that are influencing their morphology and their function. Hmm. Um, so I, I dug a Reminds little... Reminds me of that, that woman that has two vaginas. That exactly. Yeah. So, which led me down this other uh, article on the same page that was called Female Dolphins Have Weaponized their vaginas to fend off males. Now it's a little bit of a clickbaity title because they're not like growing spikes right. like some male genitalias do. Yeah. I think we Cat encounter things. that. Cats, ducks. Yeah, ducks have wild vaginas. They have spiky vaginas? No, they have <clears throat> they have like seven vaginas. Okay, so this is similar to what's going on <clears throat> with the dolphins. So it's not really a weapon, more as a more of a uh Basically, they can choose... Defensive weapon. A defensive weapon, yeah. So it, it says that, uh, you know, as with humans, there's been way more research done on the male dolphins than sure. female dolphins, so right. they're, still, they're still catching up. Um, but uh, so with the dolphins, uh, it says the vaginas of the common dolphin and the common seal seem amenable to penetration, suggesting their genitalia had evolved to allow male access. But the common porpoise and bottlenose dolphin have extensive vaginal folds that obstruct penis entry. So male bottlenose dolphins form alliances two to four strong to keep competitors away from females. When confronted by such an alliance, a female has little choice in who mates with her <coughs> and may mate with everyone. <coughs> but the vaginal folds could grant her some agency. 
So she can, she may not choose who she mates with, but she may be able to choose which male or more precisely, which sperm fertilizes the egg. In all four species studied, the ideal position, this is just for extra, the ideal position for successful fertilization appeared to be the male on top with his penis hooked underneath the female. Any deviation from this tended to result in unsuccessful penetration. That is consistent with Orbach and Mann's observations of wild porpoises and dolphins mating. Um, This combination of precise positioning and complex vaginal structures means that subtle mid-copulation movements by females could send the penis the wrong way in their vaginas, preventing fertilization. It might appear behaviorally that females are very passive, but looking at the reproductive anatomy, we're learning that they have all sorts of cryptic ways to control paternity. Do you want to hear a list of animals that have sex for pleasure? Oh, please. I, I don't think this is all of them, but uh, here's seven. Bonobos, which we knew. Yeah. Dolphins, which we just talked about. Sea otters. Mm-hmm. Some cute sex. Happy little creatures. Killer whales. Killer whales. Seems like a lot of water animals. Fur seal. Cheetahs. Uh, spotted hyenas. And that's, uh, that's seven right there. Spotted hyenas and cheetahs are the only ones not in the water. And bonobos. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, maybe we already talked about this on the podcast, but I feel like I read something recently too that humans are the only animals that have sex face to face. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe. Are you an animal I mean, sex I, I don't expert? Know. I feel like sea otters probably do it face to face. I bet. I think they're all mounting each other from behind. You think? I mean, based on all the animal sex I've encountered on randomly through nature documentaries and whatnot, they all do seem to do a, a hind mounting position. And apparently, even bono- I, like I, I remember specifically reading this in relation to comparison to bonobos, which is our closest existing. Animal relative, I think. Whoa, sea otters fuck animals outside of their own species. Interesting. That's really interesting. Like what what other animals? Sexual pleasure in otters is evidenced by their numerous actions towards other species. Male otters are known for forcing sex on other species. In some bizarre instances, otters guard and have sex with the seals even after the death of their victims. So they, they kill seals. Dead seals. An otter can kill kills a seal? I would have thought otters are much smaller than seals. That's seals what I would look have like too. ginormous. Yeah, they are. Compared to an otter. Maybe they just find a dead, a dead one. Oh. So they're what is that next Sea otters, man, they're so cute. Like they're just fucking carrying balls and rocks all the time. See that video I put up on Instagram of the of the otter with like seventeen ice cubes on his belly and he's just trying to keep them all there? No, I got I deleted my social media before I got to oh, see right, that. But, right. um, Crazy. That's really cute. Um, well, uh, oh, my they God. Get, they can get up to 99 pounds. That's nothing. That's a, I, I mean, that's I thought they would, they'd be like donut size. Like 30 pounds max. Oh, no. It's like almost, it's 20 pounds less than me. Yeah. Cool. Interesting shit. Well, folks, <laughs> hope you enjoyed that. Uh, check out um, the big sex talk when it comes out. Uh, I don't remember the exact date, so I'll find that and let you know next week. Uh, but it's this month. And um, 
Uh, hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you want to support the podcast, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and uh, leave a rating on Spotify. And of course, to everyone who is a patron of ours, we love you. Thank you. We love you. If you're not a patron of ours, go fuck yourself. But you could <laughs> you could become one. Go to patreon.com slash turn me on. And if you want to reach out, you can do that. Turn me on podcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from every single one of you. Oh, yeah. We got a really great email. Maybe Let's we'll save, save it. it for next Let's week. Let's save it for next week. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. Did we? I didn't even know that. That's great. Yeah, uh, we did. And cool. thank you. Uh, all right. Well, then uh, we'll get into that next week. Uh, that's it for this week, folks. Until next week. Go touch yourself. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.